0: How many how many license plates were on the semi that was chasing Dennis Weaver down the highways of Arizona? Six. That's exactly right. <laughs> I just looked it up. Really? That's, yeah, that's exactly right. Well seven if you include if you include the plate that's legally on the truck. But six is the number of plates that were on the front bumper. Um, I would have said more. Ed Wood swung for the fences. Yeah, he did, but he was not a good director. Hold on, let me get the character. Three, two, one. And... My God, that's brilliant. You know, um... I like that, I like that a lot. And so... Hello, and welcome to Max and Jason Watch a Movie. I'm Max. And I'm Jason. And
1: today we will be reviewing Duel, from ni- originally from 1971, uh, directed by Steven Spielberg, written by Richard Matheson, starring Dennis Weaver. Now, I'll go through the rest of the cast list. Uh, Jacqueline Scott, Carrie Lofton, Eddie Firestone, Lou Frizzell, Eugene Dynarski, Lucille Benson. I could go on, but I could have stopped at Dennis Weaver, because a lot of these, a lot of these performers are, are are just kind of background to Dennis Weaver who is really the character that we're going to spend a lot of time with. This was originally a TV movie that was released in 1971 on uh, ABC uh, and it, it's kind of remembered now as kind of a foundational TV movie. I don't know how many TV mo- I, I think the TV movie was invented in the late 60s. Uh, so this was a genre that was just kind of getting started at this time. Uh, it was later because it was, it was considered to be so well made, uh, it was later repackaged for a theatrical release in Europe, Ooh. which is why, which is very interesting. I, I do have a lot of factoids about this movie. If you watch the ending credits, the copyright date is 1972 because actually the movie that Max and I are going to be reviewing, the version rather, that Max and I will be reviewing in this podcast is actually the theatrical cut that was released in
0: 1972. Okay. Um, I did I had no idea about any of that. I watched this movie re- I'd seen this movie a few times over the years, and if you're somebody like Jason and I uh, of a certain age, you probably saw this on TV several times. This is something you would see on TV occasionally, and so you'd watch it. Didn't see what was so great about it until I was probably in high school. And then, you know, and then I was like, oh, this is a pretty good movie. Steven Spielberg's first movie,
1: correct? It's not his first work, but it is his first movie. He had had done a student film, and then he had done some TV episodes. He did do a segment of the pilot episode of Night gallery okay. which was rod serling's attempt to follow up on twilight zone a lot of people don't remember night gallery but he did a a little segment of the pilot episode of that he did he also directed an episode of he did several television episodes uh, okay. before he did this uh, he uh, he did an episode of columbo and then there was an episode of another show that i've never heard of but he but Steven Spielberg of course we all think of him now as the most successful director of all time and I don't think that I even have to look up any information to confirm that he simply is the the, the inventor of the blockbuster the author of of so much of, of what we all kind of gravitated to in the 1980s and this is his first feature it's not his it's not his first um work as a director but this is definitely the film that that established him uh, as an artist artist.
0: Well so it's interesting that you said Rod Serling's Night Gallery Night Gallery and how that was sort of a Twilight Zone-esque thing because I think I have mentioned this before audience that one of the things that's kind of been neat about watching films and then talking about them on this show is uh, you sort of change the way you view them sometimes and that you start like really paying attention to things this show reminded me of like a thriller Twilight Zone episode yes you know yeah. you know, I, I, I had that vibe from the music to the uh... there's something that's interesting that's done in the film there's a lot of VO work that Dennis Weaver does where we're we're getting his internal monologue, you know? I was reminded immediately of the Twilight Zone. I was fortunate enough, and you were too, I think, and that some some channel we had... Folks, back in the day, back in the ancient days, at least first century Roman period, <laughs> uh, we had we had, we sort of had to just take what channels we got from our cable company, and maybe it was Nickelodeon, which is a name I think most people will remember, and because it still exists. But some show had some some channel had Twilight Zone in syndication, so I, I got to see a lot of Twilight Zone episodes, and this 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 movie Duel has. Uh, do you get the Twilight Zone vibes? I think they're there.
1: Well, yes. And one of the reasons why that is, is Richard Matheson, and I know we'll talk about Richard Matheson, did write a lot of Twilight Zone episodes and many other things. He was one of the great science fiction teleplay writers of that time.
0: Well, no, we'll definitely have to tackle Matheson uh, as the podcast. We'll probably get that out of the way before we dive into the into this really lean film. But yeah, I felt that. And it's interesting that you bring up Matheson. Uh, Matheson also wrote short stories and a few novels. One of Stephen King's favorite authors. Yes now i've read the short story that this is that this is that that, that also couple it was a, that matheson wrote i don't know if he wrote it before or after this uh, but it says in the credits it says based on yeah a, a story by matheson
1: um, uh, real quick just to interrupt you because he did write it before because um the the short story was already uh had been sold to abc george Eckstein produced this and so it was already in production before spielberg was brought on board spielberg this was not his idea. This was something ABC was was already planning to do uh, based on Matheson's short story. Matheson had, had sold sold the short story to ABC.
0: It's interesting. Um, so I read this story in a combination uh, with Matheson's other major well-known work, which is I Am Legion. Yes. Which is the famous vampire story that has been made multiple times, uh, most recently with the now controversial Will Smith. But we're going to skip that because Jason I already had that conversation off camera. But I Am Legion is a really amazing story that that Matheson actually was trying to say things about ostracism and like about belonging. And when, is there a point where when everybody is a vampire, it was like when everybody becomes X is being the outsider now, the the bad thing, right? Uh, if, If that makes sense. Like everybody's a vampire by the time we meet the hero, quote unquote, I Am Legion. But the vampires are upset with this, Guy, because he's killing them during the day, right. and in the previous world before the vampires had basically taken over, Matheson was a good guy. But now in this world, he's he's. I'm sorry, Matt, not Matheson, but the hero is now to the to everybody else in the world, at least in his neck of the world, he's the bad guy. Right, and so Matheson also had. When he started writing duel, he gave the character the name man. Yes. And he was he he said he started out with these in the in the foreword, sorry, in the foreword that that, that leads to this story in that collection I read. He said, you know, I had these really high novelist aspirations for man who's gonna be an you know, who's gonna be the stand-in for the human experience. But and he he basically talks about how that sort of fell to pieces, I think, a little bit as the as the writing went on, and how his, his cerebral idea became this thrill but he kept the name man and that's the only thing that survived from his attempt to write the great American novel or whatever it was he was trying to do. I just thought that was kind of funny that like, you know the best laid plans sort of fall to pieces as, as, the, as the story takes over for the author and leads the author on where to go well how was the story i liked it i mean i folks um i'll just put this in right now um i think i've read all of matheson's works and they're they're dated in the following way that the stand used to be dated you which isn't to say that you're offended by anything that's in it because they're but matheson and stephen king for that matter are very progressive writers so you're not going to be like oh that's a bit racist you know ooh, that's a bit you know whatever but Stephen King recently updated the stand and made it so that you so it didn't seem as much a product of the 1970s as it was when you read the stand now which is a Stephen King's you know major uh post-apocalyptic work it reads as as if it could have happened like recently you know Uh. um you know he took out all the 70s references he took out even i think most of and changed them with more modern kinds of things you know their computers their touchscreens i think in the stand now but it's revised and updated it's the same novel for the most part but but matheson's work definitely seems like it was late 60s early 70s especially in his there's a i think he did a horror story um but there was this craze at the time psychic powers and psi uh, that that was all the rage in the late 60s early 70s up into the early 80s and this is a a problem, not a problem, but you notice it when you read—is it The Haunting on Hill House? So I can't remember what you read. Some of these old horror novels, uh and you're like, "Ooh, this was right from the late '60s, early '70s," because everybody's obsessed with ectoplasm and and psychic phenomena. And go ahead, sorry, Jason. No, no, it's very interesting
1: because uh, because actually, Night Gallery, which started off as kind of a like The Twilight Zone, and it would have like these just standalone horror stories or or just kind of mystery stories, suspense stories and then it didn't last very long but the last couple seasons uh became kind of these kind of murder mystery kind of episodes that starred gary collins as a guy who was kind of a clairvoyant okay uh and so this would have been you know 71 72 maybe about the time that this uh came out yeah uh you know that kind of backs up what you're saying that that was all the rage at the time pre -pre pre-exorcist right yeah, yeah, yeah right because i mean after the exorcist everything became about the devil but but this time period that you're talking about
0: yeah uh, well, i mean, think think this time period produced carrie yeah uh, the, the novel not yeah, the- yeah yeah so it's very much in that that's the that's the the intellectual milieu everybody was you know reading uh Chariots of the Gods and yes. worrying about yes. worrying about the Bermuda Triangle and and you know a lot of dumb shit is what preoccupied the people of the seventies, uh, which I, guess I suppose that's any era. But but this film uh, with this this story was uh, just basically a thriller. Um, but I didn't I didn't realize all the subtle things that go on in this movie, and some of them actually aren't in the book. I don't think it's been a while. So, the short the short story. It's been a well, long time since I've read the short story, so I can't I can't speak to. So what's in this short story and what's in the you know is it one to one you know I don't know I can't remember guys I haven't read it for a while.
1: Yeah, well I mean I mean maybe some of that'll hit you, but uh, you know I'll just kind of go over some of the production stuff. Steven Spielberg was a staff basically at this time, and this is and this is kind of interesting because you know we think of Spielberg as being part of the uh, you know this generation of directors who you know were were independent and they did their own thing and they did and there's no doubt about that. But the studio system was still kind of in its death throws at this time. And Spielberg was a staff director at Universal Pictures. Oh, wow. And in fact, to this day, I think most of Spielberg's films are Universal Pictures. But um, but he worked for Universal Pictures. He was under contract with them. And he was told, I believe by the head of Universal Pictures, that there was this Richard Matheson script that he would be interested in. Might have been somebody else. But somebody told him, I think that you might be interested in this. And he and he heard the name Richard Matheson. He was like, gimme, you know? And you know, he looked at the script and he was like, you know, I want to do this movie. So Spielberg was not assigned this movie. He wanted it. He wanted to do this. Story. So he called whoever he needed to call and said, you know, how do I how do I get on board with this? And he was he was put in touch with George Eckstein, who was already the producer of record, and he was hired. And this was, and that's what makes this movie kind of special as we begin to talk about it. Steven Spielberg's first attempt to make and, and yes, it's a TV movie, but, but in Spielberg's mind, I have this beautiful script in front of me. How do I make this into the kind of movie that my heroes would have made?
0: Uh, the, the, that makes sense, and he. Uh, I get. I guess by the end of this podcast, you'll know what we think about that yeah mission. So I don't have any production notes. I just have those Richard Matheson notes. So Steven Spielberg, I'm sorry, Spielberg recognized what a lot of other people have recognized. A lot of people who write thrillers and write horror all point to Richard Matheson as yes, somebody who is a template for their work.
1: Yes, um, absolutely. And, and Spielberg recognized that.
0: And, and you know, one thing I want to say about Matheson that makes his works maybe a little more adaptable than other writers is he could craft a very intriguing n- novel or short story and was a master of doing it in a very lean way like yeah. you could adapt a richard matheson novel quite easily and of course a short story is a e- is even easier than adapting a novel but even his longest novel i am legion is not a long novel it's it, 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 it's a novella it, yeah exactly and so um he was he was a very efficient writer I mean you almost might call him a just a perfect short story writer with, with yeah. a few with a few novellas one of my favorite novels of his and certainly one of my favorite adaptations of his the stir of echoes which the, the the film starred Kevin bacon but yeah. the novel itself was quite amazing it was a ghost story and I, I think those are actually kind of hard to write I, folks I don't know if you've caught on to this but I'm a unbelieving infidel I don't I don't believe even things that go bump in the night that aren't mammalian or reptilian or you know I, I don't think that there's much beyond the material universe maybe you'll get Jason and I on a really drunk day and you'll hear a debate about this between the two of us uh, uh, and I'll win and Jason will then be converted or, or Jason will win and I'll become a, a born again whatever the fuck he is so for me ghost stories are one of the hardest things to make me really jump in to You know they've got a little more work to do with me they don't have to do a lot of work I'm, I'm quite willing to suspend my disbelief but I got I I got chills reading Stir of Echoes. I got chills watching Stir of Echoes. So that's a recommendation for both of those things. But I'm just really, I've always been impressed with Matheson's work. Yeah, I don't believe in vampires either, audience. And then, but, but... <laughs> but I can get into that and and Matheson does a great job of making that compelling too but Matheson is the guy who made vampires science based I believe because he t- he tries to do the transfusion at the end okay you know his his novels sort of struck me as this in some ways kind of a typical materialist like myself trying to adapt some of these supernatural things and, and kind of come up with like compelling like actual physical explanations for what had heretofore been considered you know a spiritual experience. Sorry, Jason.
1: No, I I mean not only is that writing good horror, but actually almost any in 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 writing any book or in making any film, no matter what your perspective is, if you're going to be successful, you have to be able to invite somebody who doesn't agree with you, who doesn't see it the way you do, and you have to be able to invite them into the experience. We talked about this a little bit with the Omen. That you have to be able to invite people who don't agree with into the experience and allow them to inhabit that world or wear that jersey however you want to put it for those two hours or if it's a book however many days it takes them to read it I think that in this movie I mean there's nothing supernatural about this no 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 but with this movie and 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 this is where I want to kind of start off talking about Spielberg and his directing this movie does a very good (laughs) job This is Steven Spielberg, this young director. Um, God, I, what would he have been? Twenty-one? I, like, I mean, he would have been very, or twenty-four. I mean, he would have been very young when he made this movie. But there's something about when a great director is very, 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 young and they're and they swing for the fences because all all ambitious directors when they're young they swing for the fences. But the great ones end up doing really good stuff. And
0: Ed Wood swung for the
1: fences. Yeah, he did, but he was not a good director. But Spielberg here. After we have the universal logo, because this is the the theatrical cut, we have kind of darkness, and then we have a car starting up and backing out of a garage, and we kind of have the camera is kind of the kind of the the first person perspective of the character that we're going to meet, Mr. man who who you talked about, played by Dennis Weaver, and there's something about um, this is the credit scene, and there's something about this process that is both relaxing and unnerving. Yes. Yes. And and, and also, and also reflective. So because he backs out of the garage and the first thing that hit me was, this is just another day. This is me starting the car as I've done 700 times and backing out of the driveway, not expecting anything other than my humdrum routine. But there's something about the opening of this film that kind of, I mean, we kind of know this, but that emotionally tells us Mr. Man doesn't know this, but this is not going to be a routine day.
0: Well, there's something about the closeness of the perspective of the camera to the road and to other cars as he's going out of the the city. But there's also, this is why I was reminded of the twilight zone a lot. We get a fairly standard score. This is a TV score. It's not a bad one. In, In fact, it's actually kind of genius because there are elements of discordance in the yes. music. And that is giving us a cue. It's too bad Mr. Man can't hear the score. He <laughs> might pull back into the garage and stay at home. No, we, we haven't seen Mr. Man yet. We don't see Mr. Man until this whole sequence is over. At yes, least
1: because, because it's our perspective. i just interrupt you real quick because there are also moments. Of course, we're getting the credits at this time. He's listening to the radio and he's stopping at stoplights. He's in, um, oh, where's he from? He's from LA. I think so. Or San Diego right okay it's one of the two one but, of the, but, california somewhere yeah but uh, southern california but he'll come to a stop and i found myself kind of looking at the license plate of the car in front of him which is what you would kind of do if you were in the car and you were a little bored yeah and, and maybe you would maybe it wouldn't even register oh New mexico or whatever and because you're just driving that's all you're doing so this this whole sequence captures the experience of kind of absent-minded driving now you just mentioned the score and you're absolutely right Uh, although i think at this point we're getting you know he's listening to the radio and there's all this kind of like self-help yes kind of stuff going on that is both interesting and boring at the same time like we don't want to really hear what he's listening to but he doesn't either yeah 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 right i mean i mean it's just it's background noise this is all routine and i think this is brilliantly done and 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 i and i have to say this or or no i want to ask you this okay spielberg would not film this scene this way today
0: he wouldn't film much of this Movie today, I don't think.
1: No, but, well, no. I see. I agree with that. But a
0: lot of directors wouldn't like. I think there's something. Well, no, I think, yeah. <laughs> I think you're absolutely right because this move takes a huge chance by not introducing us to the main character directly. Yeah, we are we are the board. We're the person looking through his bored eyes. Yeah, you know. And I I I thought this whole I I, I see exactly what you're saying. And I think I I think you'll you'll have to confirm or not. I thought this was remarkably daring for a TV movie. This was insanely daring because it and it's daring for any movie but it's, it's less daring for a theatrical release because you when you go to the movie, this, this has been my experience of most TV movies versus uh, big screen movies. When you go to a big screen movie, you are often expecting big moves. Right. Uh, you know, uh, in terms of direction, in terms of cinematography, you're expecting people to try to be super clever. Whereas sometimes with TV, and this is not a fault of TV, TV generally runs on a tighter schedule. It runs on smaller budgets. But what I got out of this was this is a great way to establish tension and expectation and to get the audience already kind of into the get them in the right headspace for the material with with the limited budget but it was also I just thought as I was watching at this time this is the first time I've watched the film closely for, as, as a critic um, and I thought wow this is so daring and I don't know if it, it it's certainly beyond most of anything else that was going on for tv movies at the time but it's also you know it stands up with any other intro to uh, a thriller. I think it's
1: very ambitious. Yes. And 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 I think it feels like a very young director trying to make his mark. It's something that maybe um, Alfred Hitchcock would not have done this in 1971, but he might have done it in his heyday. Yeah, he, he may he may have taken this kind of care. And, I, and Spielberg, to me at this point, he's really being very ambitious. And, and by the way, you mentioned TV movies having a lower budget. Yeah, This movie did have a lower budget. It did have a tight schedule. Spielberg was working against the clock. It, 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 in some ways, uh, of course, um, you know, Jaws was a bigger film. But in some ways, Spielberg's uh, experience with this film was kind of similar to his experience with Jaws in that he was really ambitious. He was taking his time. He was trying to figure out how he could make the movie that he wanted. But, you know, he had ABC, he had Universal breathing down his neck, and he had to figure out how to organize the production in such a way that he
0: could get all the shots that he wanted and not get fired. (laughs) Well, well, right. Yeah. And so we're seeing the the finished product of this. And yeah, I I was captivated from the beginning shot because it was, it remains really interesting to me. And I, you and know, I have seen a lot of movies. I think that this is a great opening. And I think there's also some element of tension added to the film by the voices on the radio, by the things that are being said on the radio. And, and I I, and I didn't have time for this film to really dive in to see what may have been, if anything, being in with the radio stuff i'm sure that other people have done that but but for me there's this sense as he's leaving the city our hero mr man he's leaving the city there is this almost overwhelming sense of of sensory stimulation as he's leaving radios on traffic's everywhere but at yep. the same time he's also a fairly distracted unobservant person you know what i mean yeah um, and he's you know I didn't appreciate how complex this Mr. Man character is when I've, I think when I've seen this previously, but I, I have some ideas about him and I don't know if they're right. And we'll so we'll have to kind of explore Mr. Man together over the course of this podcast. But but we get this, this sense that he's both, he's not paying attention to the world around him as much as he's about to. Yeah. You know, he seems distracted and, and sometimes tense. He seems tense almost from the moment we meet him. Yeah, he, he's definitely
1: an every man. And, and I guess I would add that uh, Spielberg did not pick him. But when he was, because uh, now uh, Max and I will probably remember this, but, but listeners might not. Dennis Weaver at this time was only a few years out of Gunsmoke and was a, a known commodity. Okay. And uh, so I guess at, at the time that this was made, uh, he was being used in a lot of TV movies. He was in a lot of early TV movies, ones that are kind of forgotten now. So when Spielberg was told that Dennis Weaver was who they had in mind, he was like, oh, great. And he remembered it. Being in an Orson Welles film and uh, Touch of Evil. Okay. Oh, this will be great. He said he would be perfect. So Spielberg was very excited that Dennis Weaver was already chosen. Okay. And so so we, we have this kind of slow introduction to um, uh, David Mann. And I think the first time that we meet him, he stops. Um, and he wants to call his wife. Oh okay, yeah, And he calls her on the pay phone. And, and, and I think this is very interesting because we don't really get a flashback. I think today we might get a flashback.
0: There's we, It's interesting. Before you go on... There's a lot of I think today we would X with this film, yeah, and 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 I don't think that most of the time it would be a better film with I think whatever whatever we would fill in I think with today we yeah. would I don't know if we would get a better film by doing that but go on yeah so so he calls his wife
1: and she has she has young kid and of course folks this is 1971 so she's probably I mean. I'm guessing she's a ha- a housewife, and they had this conversation in which there was um they had guests, it was a date night, something happened, and there was something that went wrong in which um he upset her, yes. And they never really hammered it out before he left. And he's calling to kind of hammer it out. Yeah. And you kind of get the sense that um, he's not sure how to do that. She's not very receptive to it. And that she's she's kind of critical of him. Yeah. So have kind of this exchange. And it's kind of interesting how you have to kind of make your own assumptions about David Mann's life. Yeah. And I, I think that we're kind of able to. I think that David Mann is kind of a bored individual. He's a man that always is on the defensive. Uh, he, I mean, even with his wife, you know, yes. he, uh, he, he tries to keep her happy. But he's and, not a happy man. Pardon? He's not a happy man. Not a happy man, Because, but he may not even know that. I don't think that he does. He's so used to being on the defensive that in this phone conversation, which if I remember right, it's in a laundromat and he's on the phone and he even has to get out of somebody's way as they pass him. Yeah, And then he says, well, I mean, you know, I, I didn't mean anything by it. I mean, it, it, it's it's very simple dialogue, but, it, but it, it does a lot of work.
0: Well, it does, it does. And it's the first instance that we're going to see in a long career of Steven Spielberg's fascination with dysfunctional relationships. Yes. This is a precursor to Encounters of the, what was that movie?
1: Those Encounters of the Third Kind.
0: Those encounters with the third kind. Jaws. Even Jaws, we have some of that dysfunction. Yeah. Indiana Jones and all of the women in oh. his life. And his father. And his father. <laughs> for some reason, Steven Spielberg has always had a fascination for relationships that are deeply imperfect. Specifically with fathers. Yeah.
1: And and in this case, I think that's what he saw David Mann as being. I mean, granted, we're not going to see his kids interact with him. No. This is David on his own. He definitely wanted to give us this snapshot of David and how he perceived his life and and pretty much how he saw the world.
0: Well, in that same scene prior to that, I think we've already had have we by this one have we had a little friction with the semi driver? Uh, because the, he's he's looking at it's a gas station slash laundromat, and there's that weird gas attendant. Everybody that Mister Man will meet in this film is pretty fucking weird. And that no, no,
1: you're right. The, he runs into the truck the first time. He passes him, yeah. and then and then the truck passes him, and you know they have this kind of competition. Yeah. You know, I mean, at this point he doesn't think anything of it. Yeah. You know, this is just some some jerk on the road. Yeah. Then he pulls into the gas station. Then he has the uh, the exchange that I just talked about.
0: Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, this trucker that he's suspicious of is pulled up beside him at the gas station, and he's watching this... This is a nice bit of tension where he's interacting in that distracted way that he does with the gas station attendant, a deeply weird gas station attendant, and he's watching the trucker kick the tires of his own of his own big rig, uh, and you know, kind of checks it out. We don't see the trucker's boots. We never see the face of the guy behind the rig in this film. Is that
1: so? I want to ask you this: in the in the story, in the short story, is the is the truck driver a character, or is it the same way?
0: You know, I, it's the same way. It is the same way we don't we don't ever meet that character i don't think audience if i'm wrong feel free to at jason wherever you can find him but no i think i think it's the same way it's been a while since i've read but so that's a little tense he's curious about this guy is this guy what's up with this guy he wants to see the guy's face but every time he might either something that the gas station attendant's doing he sprays the window with some kind of cleaner and starts cleaning or he gets his head in the way of the driver's side window of the semi-driver eventually that's when drives mr man into college his wife or whatever she is but there's a moment where the gas station attendant says well you're the boss and mr man says not in my house i'm not just under his breath you know yes um so there's you're right he might not realize how unhappy he is but he's kind of weird bitter guy he's very tense throughout the film even before he's a little tense when we meet it but but resigned at the same time exactly exactly I think that the character's distraction and unwillingness to kind of look around and be more observant gets him into some trouble here because I think a less distracted person would have realized there was a problem before Mr. Mann realizes there's a problem. Do you think that's right?
1: I, I do, and of course there's a there's another story element which uh, will come into play later is that the 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 gas station attendant that you're talking about tells him that he needs a new radiator hose and he he balks at the oh you're just trying to steal my money or whatever but this will come into play later
0: yeah and so he he does that and he leaves the gas station what happens next time i i'm sorry i can't remember it's the first real kind of frightening confrontation confrontation that you were just talking about with the truck was just a passed him the truck passed they pass each other passes him it's just kind of a
1: it's kind of a that guy's annoying yeah this is where it begins to become threatening.
0: Yes. And so in this, so in the earlier instance before the phone call, uh, Mr. Man and the truck We'll call it the truck. That's the character engage in this. In this, uh, I pass you, you pass me. The truck would pass him and then slow down and blow its awful exhaust at, at Mr. Man. And it was really annoying, but it would slow down when it would get in front of him and make the guy have to pass him. And then it would pass him again and do the same thing. And so it's, it's a, a kind of the, the truck driver, the truck is engaged in some kind of harassing, bullying, attempted bullying of, yeah. of Mr. Man. Now, maybe you wouldn't realize you were in trouble here, but, you know, the truck pulling up next to the the same gas station and, you know, to, to Mr. Man's credit, he is checking the guy out. You know, he's yeah. trying to figure out what's going on. The next exchange is where we realize that the person behind the big rig is a dangerous person. Because he tries to wave him on
1: after, after passing him and slowing down to a crawl and not letting him pass. He suddenly waves him on and he says, it's about time. Yeah. And he passes him and there's somebody coming. And that's the moment where Mr. Man realizes. In fact, I think he even says, he tried to kill me.
0: Yes, yes. And so... In this in this instance, audience, what what the trucker has done is they're going up a grade, which is a hill and a no a no passing zone probably for Dennis Weaver's character, Mr. Man. Yes, um, the trucker waves him on after slowing down and against the probably the indications on the road. Uh, there's probably a double yellow there. I'm guessing, and but Mr. Man trusts the trucker for some reason and tries to pass him at the same time. Somebody's coming over the hill. And there's almost a head-on collision in the, in the oncoming traffic lane. And that's, you know, that's, so that's, that's what the truck, the trucker seems to have tried to foment an accident. Yeah. Yeah. And that is when Mr. Man, that guy's ready to kill me. And he speeds, then he speeds around him, I think, and it tries to get away. And I think the trucker sort of harasses him a bit after that. Right.
1: Uh, uh, he does. I mean, uh, he then um, basically runs him down and runs him into a fence. Yes. Yes. Kind of the end of the first little exchange between the two of them and, and and i have to say and I'll, I'll i'll just say this now dennis weaver is amazing in this movie. he really is I, I because because he starts off you know kind of like oh come on, honey, you know, and like he captures that, you know, I'm just, uh, you know, going through my day and this kind of thing. And then suddenly, when their realization hits him, the way he depicts anxiety, I think, is really, really
0: strong. Um, and uh, his acting coupled with this, I guess, for lack of a better scene, this action scene of the truck trying to chase him down and him trying to, Mr. Man trying to keep track of the truck, trying to keep track of his speed, uh, and trying to. We keep track of the road. We see him swerve and, and almost lose control a few times. We see, uh, I don't know if there's some kind of like, uh, excel- if they accelerated the frame rate of the process but sometimes the, the truck in this show looked really intimidating when it was speeding up in the rearview mirror and you don't realize that you're watching what was intended to be a TV movie in this moment. It's very harrowing. Yeah. It's very, the, this chase is really good and it's and it's good right up into the end of the first act and I don't mean to say that it's good and it's not You know, right up into the end but I mean you are on on the edge of your seat until this first act ends. You're like, oh my god, this is oh shit. So the the Dennis Weaver finally finds a place where, sorry, Mr. Man finds a place where he can pull off almost safely. He has to pull off into this Chuck's diner uh, lot at some speed, but it's the only way he can get out from in front of this truck that is bearing down on him. That's almost maybe bumped him. It looks like it might have bumped him a little bit. Yeah, yeah, uh, it, it did. And then there's kind of this really kind of neat moment
1: that's. So you mentioned. The Twilight Zone, or I mentioned Twilight Zone, and then you kind of went with it. He crashes into the fence, and there are people, there are guys that come over to see if he's okay, which is kind of reassuring, but not really. No, I think not no, no, right, 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 right. Um, because it's like wow he he just kind of entered this world where it was just him in this truck and even as the viewer we kind of feel like man you know he's not he's not in kansas anymore like now it's or and in fact there's even a line where he says it's like being back in the jungle well this is something yeah go ahead yeah and then suddenly he crashes like hey you all right and it's oh no that you know he's now back in the world surely he's going to be okay now
0: yes yes And that that might be one of his, uh, almost his undoing in that he sort of thinks that maybe he, it's okay. It's over a little bit, but he does have, he does have this moment where he, that guy tried to kill me and these weird ass fucking people around Chuck's <laughs> Diner, which is why I said when you're like, hey, now he's back in the world, but you also- it never fully really feels right. Yeah, you use the phrase not in Kansas anymore. And this isn't, these are all weird people. Yes. You know, Chuck's Diner, don't go to Chuck's Diner audience, but like this guy keeps trying, he's like, what happened? Like, the guy tried to kill me. He's maybe almost concussed. He's a little shaken up after after this, after this crash with the fence, though so I, I do want to say about the patrons of Chuck's diner and whoever owns that fence, wonderfully forgiving people because nobody comes up to Mr. Mann and is like, Can "I get your insurance information, Mr. Mann." Right. Like, because <laughs> nobody asked him to pay for this fucking fence, right? But- right. He's saying, uh, "He's saying, oh, oh, the guy tried to kill me. And the guy's like, no, we probably got whiplash, Sonny. And the guy keeps grabbing at, at Mr. Man's neck in a way that I didn't find comforting. And I understand why it almost looks like he's doing choke hands towards Mr. Man's neck. And Mr. Man is like, no, just sometimes not touch me. Stop, 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 And And then there's another guy who's friends with the, it's got whiplash, Sonny guy, who just stands and stares. And it seems to be staring at that car the whole time. Mr. Man is in Chuck Steiner. Nobody yeah. in this area is very comforting to an injured person. But so what Spielberg does,
1: and and I think that this is absolutely brilliant and uh he did this on purpose there is a continuous shot where the camera follows mr man dennis weaver into the bathroom and he he washes his hands and you know maybe splashes his face and takes a moment to collect himself and then the camera follows him back into the diner and it's all done i i i, I mean i think he does talk to himself for a second i think that's where
0: the it's, it's not it's not talking to himself there's we're we're getting his internal monologue which i believe it's the back in the jungle yes so, so- so, so at this moment,
1: he does realize what he's just gone through is was traumatic uh, and that he could have died. But he also thinks it's over. Yes. And then and then he comes out of the bathroom, and then we see through the window of the diner, the truck.
0: Yes. Across, the, yeah. Yes. But one of the things I, I thought about this, and I didn't think about this the first time I saw it, and I don't even know if I honestly thought too much about this VO this voiceover that weaver does it's well done it's well done this is a dangerous thing i think to do sometimes uh but i liked it a lot in this film yes we get, we get voiceover uh, we get internal dialogue a lot in novels and it doesn't always work in book uh, it doesn't always work in the adaptation say but i thought wow. i thought i thought duel demonstrates very much that it can be done and done well you know yes. internal internal monologue but i didn't before before this viewing i did not think about this scene i think mr man is a guy who's suffering from ptsd i think he's a guy who's sort of distracted and not not happy in the world back in the jungle in 1971 meant a very specific thing. And I thought that was really interesting. And also in its own way, sort of daring for 1971. I mean, look, folks, Jason and I, this is not really our era, but we had parents who lived through this era and we heard a little bit about it. And maybe maybe some, many of our listeners would have learned about it too. But our younger listeners are going to be maybe a little confused here. Mentioning Vietnam in a 1971 film and using that even a little bit as a dramatic lever is probably pretty daring stuff in in 71 don't you think uh, a, you're living your life you're normal but then in a moment you're back in the jungle yeah you know yeah i thought it was an interesting and sort of daring choice yeah
1: yeah and and and, and if i remember right that's being said you know i think maybe he'd already ordered but You know, he had gone through the menu, you know, we've all stopped at diners, you know, we've all, you know, and and he, and and although once he orders the food, you know, it's kind of like, man, you shouldn't have done that. You should have, what you should do is you should get in your car and head home.
0: Yes, yes. that's exactly right after that ordeal because in the diner and in the vo in the vo before he sees the truck he's like it's okay now it's over it's over it's done it's fine it's over but it's not and that experience on the road should have been the cue yeah like i need to call the he should have called the police then yeah but for some reason he i think it's denial in some ways you know yeah this character doesn't want to believe that he's in trouble in a big way um Well, here's a question for you so audience the truck pulls up while he's eating he's getting his cheese sandwich on rye which he spells for the waitress like that would matter but uh give him give him give him cut him some slack he's a little frazzled was the trucker in the diner at all I don't
1: you know I've seen this movie five or six times beginning on on time two I've always tried to figure out if the if the trucker was there I don't think that I, I've never been able to see I've never been able to make any kind of connection that any of them were the trucker because yeah at, So he he does rehearse with each of the ones who he thinks might be the person, what he would say to them.
0: Yeah, because he's got a plan of making peace and like, let's get let's get this. So let's have I'm, a beer. Yeah, let's have a beer. He wants to try and figure out a way to diffuse and de-escalate the situation, which isn't a necessarily a, a bad plan with a normal person. But this trucker is not a normal person. But you know,
1: at this point, he, he's not even he's not even fully there yet. Yeah. He he knows that this person is mad, but he's not really aware that he's dealing with somebody that's not going to give up.
0: I can't remember when I, I saw this, but to me, the MO. So audience, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and like uh give you. What I think is the mo of the trucker. So the trucker we see in the rearview mirror of Mr. Man's car is very aggressive in his driving. He gets really close to the car that he's to, to Mr. Man's car that he's terrorizing. We see a bunch of license plates above the bumper, six in fact. As Jason's son, I asked this question to Jason earlier: How many license plates are on the on the bumper of the trucker? And Jason didn't know, but his son nailed it in one. Six is the number. Uh, seven plates all together, including the California license plate that is probably. The legal one on the truck uh of the of the of the psycho but my my guess is that the, the trucker creates situations where people have are killed in accidents yeah. and then he collects the license plates of of the people and so the what I think we're dealing with going uh well uh,
1: I'm only interrupting you to praise you because I know for a fact that that's what Steven Spielberg's intent was
0: okay yes yeah. And so, so when I'm watching the first, the first major beat, I got the sense immediately that the person was trying to create an accident. Yeah. Didn't want to leave a forensic trail, I don't think, you know, uh, <clears throat> but he wanted to create an accident yeah. and kill people. We're dealing with, it's not ever explicitly said, a serial killer.
1: Yes. Uh, yes absolutely in some ways this is like uh, a very early michael myers or fright at the third you know jason Voorhees. Uh, no i i i totally feel that and like jaws which is also a movie where the the killer is not really shown to us well i mean eventually is shown to us yeah. this movie it's kind of jaws plus yeah never see the driver but the driver now now I, I do know that spielberg said that he wanted the truck to be a character and that's why he, that's that's why he picked the peterbilt because he felt like that it had that the two headlights were like eyes yes yes and and so that's why he picked it but uh um
0: oh the truck has so much personality it's a yeah, wonderful oh, totally totally
1: designed you know all the all the
0: oil stains on it. You know they they specifically put those on it. Oh yeah, it, it, the truck is a wonderful design. I I've marveled at it every time I've watched the film, but I, I definitely marveled at it more this time. It's not over the top. It couldn't exist in California today because I suspect it wouldn't pass emissions testing. But but at the time, I bet you would just not even pay any attention to it. It's not so new that it would draw your eye. And it's not right. so that you'd be like, this thing needs to be off the road. But. In that first exchange, before he gets to the diner, he suspects, he talks about it a little bit, that he thinks that in his VO, uh, that he thinks that the truck has been souped up. It's not what it appears. This is...
1: say that, yeah.
0: And so his big mistake here is to think that it's over after getting to the diner, even though, and, and, you know, and he does confront somebody at the diner, a guy who he thinks is the person. Why don't you cut it out? Yes, yes. It's it's really, really clever. And it is the first moment where we see that there is some current courage in, and maybe some, oh gosh, Maybe not courage is the right word. There's a there's a switch that can be flipped on on Mr. Yes, Man. Because because he does go too far. Yes. The guy says, Man, yes. so he confronts this guy, not it doesn't start out bad. He was like, Why don't we just cut this out? He's basically trying to like be peaceful, but but he is trying to be firm too with the person who he thinks to just run him off the road. Yeah. And the guy is like confused by it. And and towards the end of the exchange, he says to Mr. Man, eh, something wrong with you guy. And this is also a nice little bit of character um, stuff because I, I one wonders about that PTSD that I'm suggesting has happened to him. Mister Man immediately becomes not only defensive but aggressive. Don't you say there's something wrong with me? Don't you? He gets mad about that and yeah, and, and, yeah. Es- and escalates the conversation confrontation, which gets him which gets him flattened. This trucker, you know. So, but he escalates the confrontation when the person says something derogatory his mental health. Yeah, yeah. And and and, and like I said, he gets aggressive. He gets in the guy's face and the guy gives him a pretty solid gut punch and shoves him down. Kudos to the weird people who work at Chuck's Diner because the cook, the head chef, comes out and diffuses the situation pretty quickly. And the trucker's mad about losing his sandwich and leaves. And the owner of the diner, the proprietor, Chuck, maybe, I don't know, says, <laughs> you gotta leave. You should leave, mister. But we don't see that guy get in the truck. We don't see where that guy goes at all. Yeah. But we do see the truck leave. and and uh, Mr. Man chases it pretty optimistically, I think.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah.
0: And I thought it was kind of a neat scene. It was fairly, t- it was very tense. It was very unsettling. The music had that, those nice discordant pieces to it. Really. I, idea. Yeah. I,
1: I, I, um, I wanted to finally comment, especially in this scene on what you had said about the music earlier. Because, because you, I agree totally with what you said. That for a TV movie, the music is fantastic. Is it derivative? Yes. It's it- Feels a little bit like Psycho, maybe like Bernard Herman, like the the kind of really yeah. screeching string violin, yeah, 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 whatever. However, there's also this kind of like synthesizer, yeah, 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 that is kind of kind of a new touch that I feel like elevates it. Had it been derivative, just you know, for a TV movie, that would have been good
0: enough. Yeah, actually, I think the score is really good. Oh, and, I think I think it works; so, it, it weds well with the material. Yes. Um, and you know even though it's it's not John Williams there obviously but but uh, yeah. but, but for what it is it's 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 absolutely great uh, obviously you do you just you just basically said what i said and i'm just repeating what you said um but mr man from this moment he's not listening to the score he's not listening to his his instincts and he goes and gets back in the car the door of his car is still open i don't know if you noticed that i thought that was kind of interesting and uh he drives a valiant right? Right, in this movie yes yes the, the the guy who wasn't making weird choke hands trying to touch his neck is still standing out in the lot looking God. at his car and Mr. Man leaves and doesn't do what you've suggested he should do which is drive home now you've talked about all these weird
1: characters wouldn't you agree that that's all very subtle but it's very unnerving it's almost like that's not okay this is not the plot of the movie but it's almost like David Mann has entered the Twilight Zone
0: yes exactly yeah
1: (laughs) where suddenly he's surrounded by people who are kind of normal and they're kind of friendly but really not yeah they're not gonna help him none of them will
0: nobody no no, no, um, nobody helps him in this film. And that's sort of interesting. Even people you think might offer him some help. Pa and Martha Kent don't help him later in the film. Yeah, that's right. But <laughs> they're out looking for more children in the field to steal, maybe. I don't know, but but <laughs> um, but but yeah, you're right. Nobody offers him any help. Nobody, nobody asks him for any damages either for the fence that he just fucking totally smashed. But that's, nobody lifts a finger for him and he drives in the same direction I think that the uh, the semi went off in.
1: Yeah, and uh, and I believe the next exchange is the school bus yes yes
0: this was very frustrating to me because oh, the, the yes t- the I I hadn't thought about this any other time I've seen this film before so audience mr man is driving down the road and uh, he comes upon a school bus that seems to have gotten stuck in the off off the road and he's also just gone through some harrowing things and I didn't think about how frustrating it would be to have a bunch of dumb clueless kids being dumb clueless kids while you are are at one of the most tense moments of your life, but yes, Dennis Weaver. But so, so, so. Sorry, let me let me back up. Steven Spielberg does an amazing job at demonstrating how frustrating that would be for somebody in Mister Man's position. Yes, he's frustrated. He's tense. The kids are already on his nerves. That generally takes an hour for most adults before they're at where he's at emotionally yeah. with the, right, the right. bus full of kids. Um, The bus driver isn't even as annoyed as he is yet, and he's been with the kids all day yeah but, but the bus driver also
1: so i so i thought this was kind of interesting the but you know because we've talked a lot about how david is he is both a very submissive person but there's also kind of this this lion waiting to come out there's some steel in him yeah with the bus driver he he's submissive yeah it's the bus driver is like well you know just give me a push like, well i don't want to do that oh you know i i think he even says i i might get stuck oh no it'll be all right And what happens? He gets stuck.
0: He gets stuck. His bumper gets locked under the bus.
1: Yeah, and which he knew was gonna happen. He said that he said it. Well, I think I'm gonna get locked up on you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and so you kind of get the sense the bus is kind of like a used car salesman, you know, ended up becoming a bus driver instead of a used car salesman. Ah, oh, okay. And so they, you know, have to try to get him free, which I think becomes more urgent
0: because Well the, well, because so this is a really wonderful shot. And I, I one of the great things I think for people who haven't seen it before, um, there's he, so Mr. Man comes around a corner, sees the bus. There's a bus driver in the middle of the road going hey hey stop stop he pulls in and gets the spiel from the bus driver in front of the bus and on the as you continue around the curve there's a tunnel yeah and i was was like there's going to be some neat way this is used to compose tension and sure enough as mr man's trying to push the bus with his little valiant wasn't valiant enough in this instance. The the semi, the the truck starts to pull into the mouth, the other, the the other end of the tunnel. And it's really, really effective at this is the monster, right? Coming right coming through the coming out of the cave or whatever. And immediately yeah. you have to credit Dennis Dennis Weaver's acting here because he immediately sees the danger for everyone involved. The kids, oh the kids are so fucking frustrating as a viewer right now because like they're all out of the bus. There's this homicidal maniac revving his engine at the other end of the tunnel. And Mr. Man realizes that the kids could be smashed by this truck and he's trying to get them all in, back into the bus. And the kids are being kids. The bus driver is being unhelpful. Oh, it's fine. The kid, don't don't listen to the the guy. You know this crazy Mister Man. It's it's so tense. And you, the whole time as a viewer, you're like, are these kids about to become road pizza, street pizza? You know, right, right, great. I mean, what was your reaction to this scene? You've seen the movie several times, but oh, thought it was great. And- well, I mean, actually, I I, I think I kind of want to react to what you to what you're
1: talking about because one of the things that is brilliant about this movie. This scene, as well, um, or this scene is an example of it. But what makes this movie a great horror movie is that every horror movie needs to have a protagonist that we relate to, but who is not so stupid that we we lose any loyalty to them, or that you know we feel like that we don't have to follow them anymore. This movie does a great job because you know what you just described is that we also feel the danger that David Mann feels when he sees the truck. But we also understand that, you know, he he's not just thinking of himself. He thinks everybody's in danger. And this, I think this movie does a very, because there are moments in this movie where we feel like that David should, look, just turn around and, and, and go home. You know, you're making a big mistake by continuing to go. But it, it straddles the line where he never really does anything obviously stupid. He makes bad decisions, but they seem, but I feel like that they're, they're, they're decisions we could imagine, or mistakes rather, that we could envision ourselves making.
0: Well, there's a thing that he does and I think that it's interesting and it is one of the reasons why I think sometimes people find themselves in situations that they would not like to be in. And that is, I think he's... A person who doesn't want to believe that there's a chance that they could be in that kind of danger in the modern world. Yeah, and and so he doesn't accept the signs that the situation is not normal. And a lot of people do that, and they get them. And and they, and I. That sounds like I'm blaming the victim here, but but sometimes you know we live in, and even in the '70s, this was more true than it had been previous, uh, maybe prior to this. Um, we live in a in a fairly safe world in the in the in the yeah. modern. Of the world you know you know this isn't hunter gatherer times where you're you were much more likely to be killed in a murder than you are now uh you're much more likely the average citizen the average person was much more likely to die in warfare in yeah. you know prehistoric uh, hunter gatherer times than you are now so it is i can see how somebody might look at these signs and try to rationalize them away which is the major faux pas that man makes right yes. and it's not until this about this time where he realizes that this is the situation is not normal. Yeah. And that he's in a lot of danger and that he doesn't realize how much danger everybody else is yet. He suspects the truck driver sort of pulls a fast one on him here, but he thinks they're in danger and he sort of needs to get away because he, I get the sense and I want to credit man for this. He's the focus of the danger. He needs to leave or the, everybody's in danger here. Yeah. And so that's, so he's going to get out of there. He's not abandoning the people. He's the, you know, he's the, He's the, focus. He's, the target. he's the target, exactly. And so we'll find out that that impulse is absolutely correct later. And so he hightails it out. And as he's doing it, the truck starts to come towards the bus. It's very ominous. You think, oh, those kids need to get in the bus. It won't help much, but it'll help more than being out in the open. And he speeds away. And the truck, as he's speeding away, pulls in behind the bus. And we see that he pushes the bus free or she. Yeah. We don't know who's in the truck. I don't know what their pronouns are. You know, I don't want to assume anything here. But but at this point Mr. Man knows that that's not who the bus driver really is. He didn't come back to help the kids.
1: And we know it too. Yes. Which is why the visual is kind of frustrating to us as well.
0: Yes. It's it's brilliant. But I, I really do want to highlight how good Steven Spielberg is, utilizing every element that he had at his hand at his disposal to create an incredibly tense, stressful scene for the viewer. Yeah, and he he mastered that technique, and he would use it later uh, in Jaws yeah. and in every other film that he's made. It's he was so good so early, it's a little shocking. Yeah, and now we get our second major chase, I think. And is this where he pulls off and gets away from the semi the semi? for the first time uh,
1: not yet first
0: oh he gets he gets far away and then he stops he he talks about this too in in his voiceover how he can't keep his speed up he he always drops back down to being at the right speed limit and he he sort of gets comfortable he, he basically says that about himself I, I can't keep the speed up i'm not going to go 80 the whole way there to the business yeah. meeting that he needs to go to he always drops down he always gets comfortable yeah and he gets comfortable at a railroad stop. Uh, he hasn't had to deal with the truck driver for a while. The train is coming by and he's distracted and so distracted that he doesn't notice. Again, I think he might have talked himself out the, the dangerous past. He might have talked himself into the dangerous past and the semi-driver pulls up behind him and tries to push him into the train, yeah. um, which would be pretty harrowing.
1: Not only would it be harrowing, it is harrowing to watch. Yes. This is a great moment and the reason it's a great moment is, is that in watching this movie, we've already seen Seeing this kind of building tension, both in the diner and in the the, the different down the down the highway. Then there's the moment with the school bus, which which turns out to be, oh, you know, the, the truck's going to save the school bus. And then suddenly there's this moment. And in fact, I think that at the end of this moment, because he, you know, he, he he tries to push him into the train. It doesn't work. But he recognizes that, wow, he he's out to kill. He He's not just trying to play with me. He wants to kill me. Yes. Now, as far as I know, there may be other scenes. The railroad scene that we're talking about was shot late for the theatrical release okay and when i heard that i thought well done yeah this is a great great moment that would have taken a a a great tv movie and just dialed it up just a little bit
0: yeah then yeah and and we see and we see again the craftiness of the trucker in that this is going to look like an accident yeah nobody else like after the the engine rolls by there's not really anybody it's not a pass it's not an amtrak it's a cargo train you know it's a freight train and it's going to look like this guy just got careless and drove into the train yeah which is i mean so so that's one of the reasons why the trucker doesn't utilize all the power that is at his at his disposal to just like plow into the guy plow into man into the train because it probably cause him to plow into the train too but he's trying to Create an accident scene. This trucker, the train goes by, and at the last minute, our hero floors it, gets out of the way of the truck, and the truck I think goes by. Right. Yeah. Then we get like the uh another bit of passing game, right, where they yep. pass each other, and this is where Mr. Man gets well out ahead of the trucker and manages to turn off the road and hide his car, and the trucker goes on by. Right. Yes. And uh, a bit of uh, another moment where Mr. Man says, "I'm not moving for an hour. Not." gonna move for a while and that guy's gonna be well on his way. I don't won't see him again. Well no I
1: I, I think he, he does do that, but see he does that twice. He does that this time and then he does it later. But in between there's the uh he stops at another gas station.
0: Well that that's coming up. That's coming up. Uh I think. Yeah that's so does that does does this moment where he sleeps outside the old junkyard by the train tracks, does that happen after the I think the the, the- Attempt to call the police or before? I think it happens after. Okay, okay. He does the sleeping. This is not a bad idea. He's he's safe where he's at. The trucker doesn't seem to want to have any physical confrontation with him. Doesn't want to do anything face-to-face. And I'll get to that later. This is a good idea. He gets woken up from his dream whatever he was dreaming about I suspect he was dreaming about a future where the machines have taken over anyway Dennis Weaver if you're still alive I don't think you are let me know what your character was dreaming about and instead of doing what you said he should do from the get go which is go up to the main road and turn left back to home he decides this is something that I don't understand is this stubbornness he's already said earlier I'm gonna be late I'm not gonna make it to this meeting yeah yeah is what is driving him to keep going in the wrong direction man by by the wrong direction i mean into obvious danger like maybe you know there's a there's an off chance that that trucker is going to go find another victim and leave him alone maybe <laughs> But that hasn't been the case so far. Man's not going to make this important meeting that he was going to go to. Why doesn't he cut it? I mean, I'm asking you, Jason. Why doesn't he cut his losses and go back home? I think
1: maybe he thinks that he can salvage his career if he shows up and it just explains what happens to him, you know, what happened to him. You know, you mentioned stubbornness. I don't know if it's stubbornness. I actually think that he, he just feels like, well, it's safe now. If I show up and explain what happened, people will understand. They will they'll, they'll cut me some slack. I mean, okay. Look at it this way. Let's let's say he's like, well, I'm not going to the meeting. I miss the meeting. I'm fired. I'm gonna drive home and tell my wife that I don't have a job
0: anymore. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. It's a subtext that we never really that is never really explained. I don't think it needs to be explained, but it was something I wondered. Like, because there's there's right following the semi or he could turn left and go back home and
1: so are, are you suggesting that he's got some adrenaline
0: no i don't know why he does it i would have turned around and i would have turned left and gone home because he's not armed this person is clearly dangerous and in a very dangerous vehicle and there's no there's no mystery about this anymore yeah the guy has heretofore been entirely fixated on mr man right now he might now here's the thing i think we don't see this because man doesn't stick around those kids were all in and that bus driver were all in incredible danger up until the moment man left yeah and at that point the truck driver wasn't going to be threatening to them right right and we're going to see why now because after after the truck goes by and and man has slept and given himself some time he's driving down the road and as he's going down the road you know thinking thinking good thoughts everything's okay he sees the truck on the road waiting for him and he's like oh shit that's not good and he uh, he decides to stop at a weird, another weird place. It's just like this gas station dangerous animal attraction, a, a roadside attraction. He pulls in and he's like, he stops. He doesn't go past the semi. The semi's out there waiting for him and he uh, uses the phone, the pay phone. Price to use the phone. He tries to use the phone. He's trying to get a hold of the police and this is where I think that the killer, the uh, semi driver, starts to realize that he might be in some danger. This victim this victim i think in mr man is has survived longer than i think other people have and now the semi driver i think gets the sense that he's trying to call the police maybe he's got good rearview mirrors or whatever but we we see what mr man does it, and we see the semi start to drive towards the this poor zoo this poor terrible zoo and in one of the really great terrifying scenes mr man is on the phone get me any cop who's near me i this is your job operator it's not me you send the right people and in the background in the phone booth which is something like we don't have anymore phone booths don't exist in this country really is framed the semi speeding towards the phone booth mr man exterior the phone mister we see him we see the exterior of the phone shot and on the other side we see that semi this is a gloriously tense scene I was like, get out of that booth. I was on Ah. the edge of my seat. I've seen the movie several times, but that scene is scary as hell to me. And man gets out just in time. The phone booth gets obliterated. The woman who owns this bizarre attraction says, maybe understandably, my phone booth. Why did he do that to my phone booth? Um, Did you wonder how the hell they shot that? I did. I because there was a moment where I'm like I was worried about the stunt man in the phone booth because it looked so tight. The well, seat looked so tight. I can tell you. Let's hear it. I'm curious.
1: You were not worried about the stunt man. You were worried about Dennis Weaver. It's Dennis Weaver did the stunt. Oh wow. He insisted on doing the stunt. Really? He insisted on leaping out of the phone booth. And uh, because when I, uh, so I watched it this last time and I thought, God, how did they do, because that's Dennis Weaver. Yeah. How did they do that? So um, so then I rewatched the um, the making of. Okay. Which, which is on YouTube. And um, Weaver insisted on doing the stunt. And they had like a some a flag, sev- you know, so many feet from the, the, the phone booth uh, that if Weaver was not clearly getting out of the phone booth, that the driver could turn away. Okay. Actually, um, one of the God, we got to say his name. Kerry Lofton played the truck driver who we don't see, but he was, he was the stunt driver in the semi. Okay. And uh, Spielberg to this day praises him as amazingly careful and safe. And that nobody was ever in danger in the making of this movie. And so he was told that, you know, if you don't see him leaving the phone booth at this point, you get uh, by this flag. Yeah you veer off and uh Dennis Weaver accepted that as yep that's what we're gonna do so Dennis Weaver did the stunt it looks amazing oh it, it absolutely amazing
0: it's a stunning bit of filmmaking and uh and all the better for being practical careful filmmaking because you know today they might have done CGI or something like that and it, yeah it totally
1: and should yeah, and should. Yeah, like yeah like absolutely. like um you know, Dennis Weaver agreed to it. Kerry Loughlin, uh, a great stunt driver. Apparently, yeah. The, the danger was not zero. And
0: No, fact, no, no. Far from zero. Yes. Um, and then uh, we get the semi-driver clearly attacking uh, uh, Mr. Man, destroying everything while he's at this, this zoo. And the danger doesn't leave until Mr. Man leaves.
1: Oh, you want to see my snakes?
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, which, by the way, uh, 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 a side a side bit here.
1: Um, this side zoo and the actress who plays the owner of the gas station. All of it reappears in Steven Spielberg's film,
0: nineteen forty one. Okay, okay. Yeah. well, he does. He, he sometimes is quite self, self uh, referential, um, yeah. but. Harrowing scene, especially the opening of it with the with the semi crashing through the phone booth. Uh, our hero escapes, and I can't remember, somehow we're closing in on the final act, but the- whoa, 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 Hold
1: on, you know, there is something that we should probably um, linger on a moment here. Okay, the creation of tension in the building, in the building, you know, we start with just the two of them. Then we have the diner, then we have a chase, then we have the bus, but the people on the bus, even though they have interactions with the truck, they still don't get it either. Then we have the attempt to kill him at the train stop. Yep. Now we have a situation where he actually reveals himself to somebody else because because the, um, the 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 lady at the gas station she does flip out. Oh yeah, yeah. It's the first time in the movie that that another human being besides David-
0: Sees the danger.
1: Sees the danger and is like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. Up to this point, we, the viewer, maybe in the back of our minds, we think, well, you know, he wants to kill him, but he would not risk somebody else seeing it. Yeah. This is this scene is the moment where he even goes past that.
0: Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, and I, 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 to me, is the it's it's actually kind of good filmmaking. I think in that there's a moment where the killer is worried about the cops getting getting seen. I think that the... so much so that he's not worried about being seen by her. Absolutely. And the other thing that's kind of neat about this, and and it sort of helps the viewer understand Mister Man, maybe you could kind of see somebody gaslight. Themselves when it's just them and somebody else. Maybe I'm not seeing this right. Maybe I'm misinterpreting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to kind of talk yourself out of being in a bad situation, you know, to talk yourself out of reality. Maybe you might you might gaslight yourself in that way. Right but at that moment where this person very brazenly attacks a structure that reveals him. Right. Right. Uh, now, man knows, and he kind of can can accept it maybe a little more easily because at this point he starts to make a lot a, a lot better decisions. I think you know. Yeah. He tells the woman to call the cops and she, uh, like, he has my only phone. But, <laughs> but I think the clock is ticking for the killer now, too, because he's got to get what he's got to get done before the police do get involved because that woman is off. Somebody's going to come by and she's going to say, so get the cops. Right, right. The clock is ticking for the killer now, and he's got a, this is just my hypothesis about this. The killer has to get done when he needs to get done so that he can bleed back into the woodwork. And see, I-, see I-,
1: I like the way that you see it, but that's not how I saw it. I, I uh, To me, it felt like that all the guardrails were down. Like, a- a- at this point, it's, I- I'm going to kill you, and nothing's going to stop me. Consequences be damned. I-, I-, I like the way that you're describing it, though. That that he now is a little bit more frantic. Like I, I, he he has now passed the point of no return. Now I he has to die because I'm now in danger, is what you're saying.
0: I, I think that's what I'm saying. Up to this point, the person behind the wheel of the semi has tried to be very sneaky about how he kills uh man. And now he's getting more brazen he's yeah. escalating uh because I think in in the killer's mind the stakes have gone up a bit yeah maybe maybe man maybe his victim got uh, in touch with the police maybe you know what I mean um right. that's that's my thinking um and somehow they get switched up again uh they go on a little chase and somehow I can't remember exactly what happens oh wait Weaver goes off the road again and the semi goes zipping by and again there's that weirdness about this man character he continues going going on his route. Yeah. And I, that's not the smartest move, I don't think. But but I think that there's some kind of, I think at some point there's, there's some kind of steel in this Mr. Man character because when he comes around the corner, he sort of thinks that he's driving and he thinks that things may be over, maybe. And we get this like nice little thing where he swerves because we know that he's seen the semi and and he's like blocking the highway and almost gets killed by fucking people who have nothing to do with this conflict. And he sees the semi and he stops. Like I said, another car almost hits him and he gets out of the road a little bit with his car. And this is the moment of steel that I think that there is in the guy. He's not a coward. Right. He gets out of the car and starts walking towards the semi. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very willing. He's willing to have a a confrontation with this guy. But at this moment, I wanted to call the profiler, John Douglas, and ask for a profile of this killer because the semi driver is scared of a physical confrontation. I I think this to be the case. I think that I'm not a profiler, obviously, but I think that the, the killer is not a very very powerful person. The killer pulls away. The truck is what he wants to be. He doesn't want, he doesn't want to, he doesn't, he's not capable of having this confrontation. He pulls ahead and Weaver stops. uh, Mr. Man stops. And the truck driver won't get out to face him man to man. This this old couple in this really kind of cool car pull up behind Mister Man at this point, and he tries to enlist them to call the cops. Just call the cops. And this is a really interesting moment because they don't do it. What did you think of this?
1: I well, I mean, I think to me it was just another moment of oh, people who can help me. People from the from the from the world that I came from. They can help me if they just go get help. All I got to do is is you know stall for time but it's not going to happen uh as a side note the old man and the old woman in the car are the uh are um see, alexander lockwood and amy douglas okay they, they would appear again in a steven spielberg film in close encounters of the third kind they're the old couple on the back of the truck waiting to see the aliens and <laughs> The old man's whistling when the little boy uh, run escapes from his mother and you know runs down the street. Um, so kind of adding to what you were saying about Spielberg,
0: self-referent,
1: so, yeah, uh, self-referent. But I think it's it's another attempt at giving us a little bit of hope that God, if you know, if if only somebody from the regular world could see what was going on, he would be
0: okay. Absolutely. And one of the things that I was just thinking about that I find kind of interesting, and I don't know if Spielberg was intent this, and I don't know if this scene took place in the novella, but there's this sense you get where people salt of the earth, help out their neighbor and stuff like that. Yeah. These people fucking leave him high and dry. They do. Like, oh, let's not get involved. This guy's kind of in trouble. But the old man is sort of going along with what his wife is saying in the in the, in the the passenger seat, you know. Oh, it's fine, you know, just no. And she's saying don't. And he looks like maybe if he'd been by himself, he might have yeah. helped. It's interesting. There's there's almost this and again i don't know if i'm reading too much into this there's almost this sense that this is a future version of mr man my god that's brilliant you know um like that. i like that a lot and so um but the other thing that happens, too, whether they might have eventually come around and decided to go drive someplace and call the cops, the choice to deny them. Because, again, the semi-driver makes it clear that if Mr. Man involves other people, they run the risk of becoming his targets, too. Yes. And so Mr. Man runs away as the semi's backing up, uh, about to smash through these old people's car, I think, you know. Then the semi pulls up. Man, this is a great moment where the the semi-driver, in the gesture that that started their whole fight off, he says, to Mr. Man, drive on ahead, drive on ahead. And this is where we kind of get that moment of steal from Mr. Man. He gets in his car and does it. The smart play is probably to drive the other way. I don't know if there's, I don't know if that terminates the the chase or the pursuit at that point it's, at, it's gone too far at this point
1: yes at, at this point he's far enough from home that either direction is gonna be the same result
0: yeah this this begins the last act of the film correct
1: yes yes
0: but I, I did I, like I did like it when he he does it is all right well you know I guess I mr man basically seems to me to think all right well I guess I'm in it there's only one way through and that's forward and 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 uh it's a it's a it's a brave resigned act it goes back to that resignation of his, but yeah, he's a he's a Mr. Man is an interesting character. Yeah, yeah. I mean he 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 definitely shows a lot of bravery here.
1: And I think then um this is when the uh the car starts to break down.
0: Yes, yes. You should have listened to the to the Ra-
1: the radiator hose. And, and of course and then we go back to the uh, interior monologue <gasps> no please God like like he's <laughs> yes he's he is he is he is panicking like there's no tomorrow. And so are we
0: yes yes this is this this voiceover is effective and it could have been a disaster.
1: Oh, we see we see the steam and and, and he's just because he's going uphill. Yeah. And you know, and, and if he can just get, you know, kind of a decline, yeah. it would be okay because his cart wouldn't have to work so hard. So so this is very Hitchcocking. We've got tension. We've got something working against him. We've got uh, a villain behind him. Like, this is all just superb.
0: Well, and earlier, you know, and I don't remember how many times he said this, but there's that moment where he's in the confrontation and he's like, he looks back at the truck and says, you can't beat me on the grade, you know? <laughs> and, and uh and it turns out that that's not going to be the case this time around but take us through the rest of the film
1: yeah he, he um we have a series of wonderful edits and, and by the way i guess i should probably say that spielberg uh, he did not storyboard this but he did create uh because it was all shot on location which he insist. oh i didn't say this spielberg insisted that this be shot on location okay they wanted him to do it in the lot with uh process screen nope no 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 yeah. Yeah and uh so and, and uh, he got the speed that he wanted because he because he discovered that you don't have to go very fast if if the camera is seeing the 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 scenery go by yeah you don't have to have the vehicles go very fast to make it look like they're going fast so he used that a lot so there were a lot of little tricks that he used he he drew out a long map in which he figured out where they were going to do each little important scene and then and then turned them around around and went back the other way. Yeah. So like a lot of the scenes are on the same stretch of road, just going the other way. Um. So, but it looks so perfect that it's, it's beyond description. So uh, David finally gets over the hill and finally gets on a, on a downward plane and starts to escape from, from the truck uh, because his car ceases to overheat. And then um, sequence, he, he gets off the road and goes up to, doesn't he go through some like road close? To- I think so. I think so. So.
0: Yeah, yeah. And,
1: and and he goes up to the edge of a cliff yeah. and realizes that it's kind of the end of the road, the truck's coming after him. And then he turns the car around and uses his briefcase, right? I think so, yeah. Uh, on the accelerator to, to kind of charge the car into the truck, which creates enough of a flame and smoke that the truck driver doesn't see that he's coming up on a cliff. You know, I, I gotta say, the first time I saw this movie, and which seems kind of of dumb now because th- there are actually a lot of moments where we see the driver. But um, I remember the first time that I saw the movie, I kind of wondered if there even was a driver.
0: Yes, yes, yeah. No, there's, there's, yeah. I, 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 I wonder that myself. Yeah. You know, uh, and I wondered too sometimes if, if Spielberg ever was playing with that idea a couple of times in his head, you know. But we don't ever see the driver clear enough, which is enough, I think, you know, uh, to work. But it, this is not a supernatural thriller. The other way would have worked, you know, would for Christine, but uh, did not work for the car. <laughs> no, and then we get the the classic, famous scene of the semi going over the edge of the cliff and the roar mm. that Spielberg plays underneath the 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 death. Mm. Of- yeah, the death of the monster, which he would reuse in what famous film? Jaws. Jaws. The death of Jaws. But and, and, and he used it for this
1: scene because he wanted the truck to seem like a primal force of nature, even though it's a mechanical device. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he wanted it to to seem like that it was a creature. And uh and I have to say, he, he also Spielberg was amazingly proud of this shot. Well, yeah, uh, which he does not take credit for. He gave credit to the to the king. Camera operator at the base of the hill. He said, "I give them a lot of credit that they stayed on it to the last minute because it starts to come down and it tumbles down and it tumbles down and then a big dust cloud comes up and it goes into the dust cloud and then it comes out of the dust cloud again. Yeah, and finally comes to a rest." And he said he was so glad that the the camera operator stayed on it the whole way because because it's it's slow motion. Yep, but it is a spectacular. Oh, it's great. Yeah, there's no way, like there's no way you could have choreographed it. It 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 is just that they, they drove the truck off the cliff and then just shot it and, and what happened was perfect.
0: Yeah, no, they let physics do the work. Yes. Uh, and then uh what is it? Uh Mr. Man says uh, something about looks like we're swimming home. <laughs> Um, no, Mr. Man's got a little bit of a walk ahead of him, but that. But but, but but he celebrates. Oh yeah, he he
1: he won, and uh, and and I think we feel like we won too.
0: Well, yeah, no, it's 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 a very rewarding film without seeming to glory in the in the comeuppance necessarily of the killer. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, it's we're celebrating the hero's survival. He's alive. Yeah. He made it, and uh, yeah, no, totally, I totally, and. and you know, I'm not criticizing movies that necessarily do it the other way, but this is because the the semi was more a character than the driver. We we are about the survival and celebration of the man. You know, and, and, and so you know, I you know I was I thought that was a really. Nice way to do it, and, and and a really human reaction too. I think. Yeah, totally. Fuck, I did it. I made it. You know. Yeah. Uh, so that brings us to the end of duel. Anything you want to add to it before we get to the verdict?
1: I I think I said everything that I wanted to say about it. You know, in terms of the production, in terms of you know all the little artistic touches that Spielberg yes. made in this movie. Yeah, I I think we nailed everything.
0: Okay. Well, I'll just I'll just give my verdict real quickly. The the verdict. This is an incredibly lean thriller. and and what I I guess I guess I'll, my verdict will be a little short. As I was watching this, I lamented that we don't have more lean films like this. You don't need to make a three-hour movie. You know, there, there's a place for these kinds of just short punchy films that get the job done you don't need to exposit all the time about character to, to to do the work of character development you can just have a movie where we don't know that much about something i just think i just want to praise the film for being lean and effective the other thing i would say is definitely you know it's 1971 see this movie eh? it's an old film but it, it holds up guys
1: i i I would totally agree with that and and I, and I would add to what you just said Max that where are the flaws in this movie where did we ever in talking about this movie did either of us ever say anything negative about it no we didn't no. This, this is lean this is effective this is one of our greatest directors at the very and I will say this he he probably he might not agree with this at the height of his power and the height of his ambition uh, because I actually think that Duel Duel is not Steven Spielberg's best film but it's it's a Among his best films, Steven Spielberg, and and, but but that is a compliment. Steven Spielberg has made some perfect films. This is one of them.
0: I think so. It's
1: simple. It's uh, it's lean, as Max said. But but the but the the editing, the cinematography, the music. There was a reason why this movie was uh, recut and made a theatrical release because it is brilliant. I it, it holds up with anything Hitchcock ever did in terms of being a thriller. It is justly remembered. As a masterpiece, and it is a, an occult a film, both. And it is just, and it is. Um, there's a reason why it launched Steven Spielberg's career, because it was after this that uh, he began making feature films. And you know, Max mentioned that that the uh, score was not done by John Williams. That's correct, though it is a good score. John Williams would begin working with Steven Spielberg in his very next film.
0: What uh, was his next
1: film? Uh, uh, the Sugarland Express, a okay. comedy, which was also produced by um, David Brown and Uh, The producers that did Jaws. Okay, his third film was Jaws. Wow! So there was kind of this, kind of this step stool thing where you know this was the first step. Then there was this comedy that he did for Universal, then Jaws, and he took off from there. But Duel, Duel is kind
0: of Jaws. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of the things that I I think, and I, you know, we've said a lot already, but this demonstrates all of the promise that will later be fulfilled in his career. Yes, yes,
1: and 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 I would say you know my verdict this is a masterpiece this is a great great film not just a, not just a great TV movie this is a great movie and anybody anybody who has any penchant for watching suspense films must watch this movie
0: I think that's right Jason do you remember what we're doing next week We are doing friend of the pod On suggested we oh yeah well I, I've already watched uh, Last we... Night in Soho right we are doing
1: Last Night in Soho
0: so which quick, quick is... note audience so We'll be recording Last Night in Soho, but between now and then, you guys will have heard The Limey, I believe. I'll have that cut and done, because I haven't released The Limey yet, have I? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so so The Limey that's coming out next. You guys will not hear this, but you'll hear me chattering about this when you hear this episode. Last Night in Soho is what's up next for us. Edgar Wright, Anya, Taylor, can't remember, uh, Joy? Is that her name? Anyway, a lot of great actors. Uh, the great Terrence Stamp is in it,
1: uh, as well as the last film for Diana Rigg. Oh, who's Diana Rigg? Diana Rigg was in the Avengers, and she is also. I, well, this won't surprise you.
0: You, you want to explain which Avengers? The Avengers from the 60s. The yes.
1: spot I know her as the one Bond girl that uh, married James Bond.
0: Okay, okay, um. I do not know her as that. I did not know who she was at all, in fact. So her presence just totally sailed over my head. We'll have all that's fit to print about that film. And uh, we've got some big news in the works, but I don't want to say anything yet about that audience. So share us on social media. Share us on all the platforms. Share us with your friends. Text your mother, your father, your priest, your rabbi, your imam, though they won't like to listen to our show. Neither will any of the other people by the, for that matter. But uh, of the religious orders that I've cited, share us on the Instagram, follow me on Twitter at The Supper Test. Jason's very wise, he's not on social media, so you can't follow him anywhere. Uh, if you show up following him at his house, you'll probably call the police. And we'll catch you next week. Bye-bye. Uh, There's this sort of cerebral uh, subplot that I have no idea why they bothered with because the film doesn't require any of this. But Matthew McConaughey is clearly, clearly Kurtz from, from Heart of Darkness. And Christian Bale is clearly Marlowe, right? Right, right. This film didn't deserve this subplot. <laughs> I saw John Cleese on um,
1: Bill Maher's show. And this is a couple of years ago, but he pointed out. That- no, but comedy is
0: about things not being right. Right. You know, if things are running beautifully and everyone's behaving appropriately and yeah. intelligently. There's nothing funny. Going yeah, there. That's no good. It's all about people being stupid. And right. it's all about the things going wrong and screwing up. So you, you either point that out with sort of anger, like Lenny Bruce would have done. Right or else you point it out, because it kind of gets funny. And what I realize at 75 now is that almost nobody has any idea what they're talking about. (laughs) Right? Would you agree? And this is the only take you're going to get by us on the slap heard around the world.
1: Let's take it the other way. Let's assume that Chris Rock was meant to be offensive to upset them, which I don't think he did, but let's assume that he did. It's still too much. It's still too much.